And I don't know if we mentioned anybody that wants to buy one of those shirts. Have we talked about that? If you like the shirt, I was telling Drew, I was like, we could make these available to, to raise money, sell them, you know, doing a big upcharge, of course, <laughs> right? And, uh, and raise money for the, the youth mission trip coming up. So if you're interested, talk about it, tell us, and, uh, and then we can sell them for a high price <laughs> to you. And that would go towards the mission trip, of course, and so that would be the benefit there. But you'd get a t-shirt out of it, an expensive t-shirt. <laughs> All right. Well, if you haven't already, you can see there by looking at the back of your bulletins that we are marching through Mark. And you can turn now in your Bibles, if you will, to Mark chapter 4. We're going to try to go through the whole chapter of Mark chapter 4. And because of this, we will miss some things. All right, and as you're racing through something, you can fly at different levels when you're studying the scripture. All right, you can fly down real close and get a good look and slow down and look at everything. Well, today we're right, we're, we're flying over Mark at about thirty thousand feet, so uh, we're going to try to make it through and see what happens. All right, uh, may the Lord and the Holy Spirit speak and convict and draw our hearts near as a result of what we see in the text this morning. In chapter 4, Mark introduces us to Jesus' teaching that takes uh, the form of parables. What is a parable? We can see in chapter 4, uh, he takes a pause there, Mark does, in chapter 4, verses 33 and 34. And it tells us there that Jesus spoke with them in many parables. Uh, as they were able to understand, he did not speak to them without a parable, it said. Privately, however, he explained everything to his own disciples. So it's very common that Jesus was teaching a lot in parables, right? That's what it says there. I suspect that we don't have all the parables that Jesus taught uh, when he was here on earth, even if we put all of them together from each gospel. Uh, but we have a good number of them, and Mark uh, presents several to us here. Uh, parables uh, convey... Uh, spiritual truth, they're short stories that Jesus used to convey spiritual truth. These par parables here in Mark teach us about the kingdom of God. What's the kingdom of God? Uh, when we study the parables, we get a sense of what that is, right? We, we know a little bit about kingdom. We maybe sometimes can, can miss it in terms of what is kingdom. Kingdom, right? We think of our own kingdoms. Each one, way, each one of us wake up every morning and we're tempted to live for a kingdom, the question is, whose kingdom are we living for, right? And so, are we living for the kingdom of God, or are we living for our own kingdom? And so, Jesus' prayers teach us about a better kingdom, the kingdom of God. The gospel shows up, as we've been saying, in person, giving us access to this kingdom. Uh, and that person is who? Who's the person that shows up? The gospel shows up in person. Who's that person? Jesus. Jesus. Sorry, I'll blame myself for that, but next time it'll be your fault, all right? Uh, we are listening for who God is and what we are to do in response when we're listening to a parable, all right? Who God is and what we are to do in response. Uh, I've heard uh, the parables described as a hook hidden in bait, Okay? Are familiar with a hook and a bait, right? Everybody? Yeah. Parables describes a hook hidden in bait. The hook is what? The hook is the Word of God. 
Now, what do we know about the Word of God? Jesus is referred to as the Word. So the hook, we could say, in the parable is Jesus himself. Think of that. I just hadn't really thought of it that much, actually, to be honest with you when I'm thinking of parables. But I want us to step back and really study and understand that the hook in Jesus' parables is his his very self. That's powerful. Jesus tells parables not to simply make a great moral point that can transcend culture and religions. right? These parables that Jesus shares with us are not nice stories with moral lessons or just good advice from a great teacher. These That's not what the parables are, all right? The parables reveal the gospel, all right? They reveal the good news of the kingdom of God. And it's important, as we will see, as we see throughout the scriptures, but even here in Mark, that you cannot, and we want to be careful not to separate the teaching of Jesus from the person of Jesus. You see that? And the parables were never intended to do that. They were were intended for Jesus to reveal something about himself Right, Because the kingdom of God, God has arrived, and even when Jesus says that in the beginning of Mark, he is referring that to himself, that he has arrived, he has come. Right, In the words of another, parables cannot be understood apart from the one who tells them. Speaking of Jesus, they can't be understood apart from the one who tells them. Chapter 4 begins in verse... Uh, Well, let's begin, if you'll follow, and I'll read beginning in verse 3, the parable of the sower. So we'll skip a couple lines there and go to verse 3. It says, Listen, consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. When the sun came out, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it didn't produce fruit as a result of that. Still, other seed fell on good ground, and it grew up, producing fruit that increased 30, 60, 100 times. And then he said, Jesus said, anyone who has ears to hear, listen. Here we have... First point, again, looking on the back of your bulletin for taking notes, we see the effectiveness of the gospel. The seed is sown generously. I think that's interesting. The seed is sown generously on four different types of soils. And notice, though, the effectiveness in the soil or of the soil, right, depends, like where, what type of soil it is, is uh, indicated by those who have ears to hear and listen. The word here, if you went through and marked it, the word here is used 13 times just in verses 1 through 34 here in chapter 4 of Mark. That's significant. There must be something to hearing, right? We see uh, the many barriers that are out there that kept right here just in those first few verses that we read and we listened, we heard, right, that there are many barriers out there that kept the good seed from producing. Then finally, we see... The seed that lands on the good ground and what happens, it takes root and produces a healthy harvest. I remember my junior high school basketball coach, Stan Vaudry. He was a good coach. We were lucky to have him. Uh, And he was teaching us the difference between hearing and listening. You know, you'd think you'd have it at that point in junior high, but most of us still don't have it, right? The difference. 
And certainly we're selective. You've heard of selective hearing. Really what that means is selective listening. Uh, But he was teaching us the difference between hearing and listening. He didn't want to waste time. He was all business, even with little junior high boys. He'd cut you from the team. That was when you could do that. I guess they could still do that today. I don't know how it works. But he'd send you home, and you'd be done. And so you took him real seriously. He didn't want to waste time with players that just heard. He was looking for players who listened James chapter 1, Pastor James, man, that is a great book. It gives you, if you're like, man, what is this? How does this play out? How should this gospel play out in my life? You read James. There we see truly uh, hearing, truly hearing results in doing. When you hear something, it doesn't mean you've listened, does it? Right? But we know you've heard something when we see a doing response in your life that connects with the hearing. If that sounded complicated, it's really not. It's really quite simple. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. That's what James says in chapter 1, 22 through 25. You could read that section. Before Jesus explained his parable of the sower, we see beginning in verse 10... So Jesus explains it, right? That's when he's with the crowd there, and there's a large crowd, and then he kind of moves to this place. We see there in verse 10 where there's no longer a big crowd. And so we open, if you'll look there at verse 10, we see that he was alone with those around him with the 12. And his disciples asked him about the parable, and Jesus answered. You can follow as I read it there. The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those outside, everything comes in parables so that they may indeed look and yet not perceive. They may indeed listen and yet not understand. Otherwise, they might turn back and be forgiven. And that's verse 12. Now here we read something uh, that cuts at our sensibilities. All right? In the kingdom of God, and here's here's what I mean, meaning we... We read it and it's like, is, did we read that right? Right In the kingdom of God, what he's saying, that there are outsiders and there are insiders. Really? It just doesn't sound real friendly, right? Not everyone gets to be in the kingdom of God. That's what that's saying. Jesus uses parables to reveal truth. But as we see here, he also uses them to hide spiritual truth. Well, that, that doesn't sound right either, right? Are you sure you're not misreading the text? Why would Jesus want to hide spiritual truth? Well, he is hiding it from the outsiders. Well, wouldn't he want the outsiders to become insiders? And when we read there, the secret has been given to you, but to those outside, I'm going to speak in parables, essentially in my paraphrase, so that they don't get it, right? And what's the answer here? Well, I've wrestled with this, and, and I think quite simply the deal is they don't want to get it, right? They don't want to get it. No. Yeah. And I think it's worth you asking yourself, where do you stand when you think of the parable of the sower and you think of these other parables? And where I want us to ask ourselves this morning, where do you land? Maybe that's where your heart is. You don't want to get it. 
The outsiders Jesus is talking about in verse 12 have ears to hear, but they don't listen. They are unwilling. There are many people gathering around Jesus with many different motives, right? We know that. We've talked about that. Some think, right, the Pharisees and the, and the, the scribes and the religious leaders that he was dealing with them, they think they're on the inside, right? Right? Along with other good Jews that followed the law. And, of course, the outsiders, well, those were the sinners and the tax collectors and the people that didn't really do a good job that following the law. The outsiders were, were the common people. The outsiders were, of course, the Gentiles. And... But here Jesus is coming in and he's putting a new standard out there in terms of who's on the inside and who's on the outside. And what's the standard? Well, the standard has everything to do with how they respond to the parable. The, the, the standard has everything to do with how they respond to the word that is sown, right? And what is the word that is sown? Who's sowing? Well, I think you could say, you could look at the beginning part of this uh, up through verse 9 and see, well, Jesus seems to be doing the sowing, right? And what is he sowing? Well, he's sowing the word. Who is the word? Well, the word is about himself, the good news of the kingdom of God has arrived. His name is Jesus. He is the standard. He is the one sowing the word of God. And how we respond, church, to him puts us either on the outside or on the inside of the kingdom of God. And you may think it seems by this statement that he doesn't want everybody to hear and understand and turn back and be forgiven. But I think it's important for us to focus where his focus is. The focus here is not on Jesus' unwillingness to forgive. He is willing. Jesus is highlighting. See, we have to connect it to the parable that he interrupts in order to say this point. He interrupts his own interpretation of the parable, right, to say this to his disciples. And the focus here, then, is not on Jesus' unwillingness to forgive. He is willing. He is highlighting the condition of the person's heart. They have already made up their minds. And if they went through, right, some motion of turning back and being forgiven, as it says there in verse 12, it would just it would be just that. It would be some meaningless motion. You ever go through the motions of some religious sentiment or religious idea? Right? We're guilty of going through the motions and the outsiders, those who persist in unbelief. Their hearts are hard and not able to receive the truth. That's it. Their hearts are hard and they're not able to receive the truth. It also will help, I think, as we look at verse 12 and to identify that this verse comes from Isaiah chapter 6, 9, and 10. And it's always a reference when it's repeated in the New Testament. In fact, it's found six times in the New Testament. And it's always in reference to a hardness of heart or unbelief. You see that? So those close to him, right? That's the ones he's talking to, those disciples, right? And it says others that were with him that were more intrigued and drawing near, right? That he's talking to kind of in private right now, those close to him. Now, it's important to note that they don't quite have full understanding yet either, but notice something different about them. They were seeking understanding, they were seeking and they were asking about his parables. And he is telling them 
by using this common passage from Isaiah that he uses his parables to reveal the condition of people's hearts. Just as the parable of the sower highlights four different types of hearts. We see in this parable Jesus sows on a ground that cannot produce a yield. And that's something. We saw the different kinds of soils. And some of the seed, that is some of the word of God is falling on soil that does not produce a yield. Why does he sow there? Well, this is God's will. Yet each person has a choice to make. That is man freedom. We, we see that here. Think of it. We could go here for a, quite a while. We're not going to, but Jesus chose Judas, right? The betrayer. This was foretold about, that, that there would be someone that betrayed Christ, Right? Jesus knew this, God knew this, God chose this, God, Jesus, in fact, we looked last week, Jesus chose Judas to be his disciple, that was God's will. Judas betrayed God, that's Judas' own choice. There's tension here, right? Mark does not explain it away for us, and so neither will I. Verse 14 tells us that the seed is the word of God. The sower sows on three different types of soils where it doesn't produce. Let's look at those just briefly as we race through verses 13 through 20. We first see the sower sows the word on the path, right? And when the seed is sown on the path, they hear the word. Right? These are people, it says, this is Jesus' interpretation, these are people that hear the word and immediately Satan comes and takes away the word sown in them. And then there's seed that's sown on the rocks. And Jesus says, well, here, these people, they've heard the word, they receive it with joy, but because it's sown on the rocks, there's no root that can take place there and it's short-lived and when Life gets tough, and persecution happens because of the word, they immediately fall away. So that's on the rocks, and then there's the seed that's sown on the thorns. And he says, well, what I meant by that is they hear the word, but the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for lots of different things here, what, what could be a thorn, Right? And the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Right? So you have the path, the rocks, and the thorns. All these soils don't produce. It made me think as many times as the word hearing is going on in here, we hear a lot, don't we? Right? Right? You're hearing right now. You're hearing a lot. Most of us do more hear, hearing, right, than we do talking, right? Not all of us, right? Take notice here in this passage the hearing done in each of these cases. There seems to be at least an initial positive interaction with the word. They heard the word, even just right there, they heard the word, right? 
And I just think of that personally, like people, I talk a lot. It's part of my job is to talk, but it's also part of my job to listen. I'm a fool if I don't listen and I only talk, right? And that's easy for pastors to be fools, a side note, right? And do lots of talking and not very good listeners. We got to be good listeners. But people hear me all the time. But as soon as they leave my office, right, I see that, that word, right? And I'm, not, I'm using an illustration. I'm not saying the word that I'm speaking in that moment in my office is the, the gospel. Uh, sometimes it is, but, but I, I'm meeting with people. They hear me. They leave my office, right? And that word is snatched away, right? It may be the case that, that uh, you maybe are guilty of doing this with your boss or you're maybe uh, if, you know, it, uh, guilty of doing this with your mom or dad, right? They tell you something, but as soon as you leave their presence, that word is snatched away, it's dismissed. It's choked out by another idea. Okay? It's, right, you've heard, in one ear and... Right. So, but what about our initial response to hearing the word? Right? What about our, like right here, in, in this place, right now, like you people and me. Most of us in here, on the very surface, we have a, res, a, there's a there's a receptivity. Of course, it has to start with that. But in each case, is presented on these particular types of soil, it's eventually in one ear and out the other. Until you get to the seed in verse 20. Right? Notice that. When you get there, we see that this seed falls on the good ground. They hear the word, welcome the word, receive it. See those three things. They hear, then something else has to happen. They receive, or uh, your translation, my translation says welcome. I like that. Welcome. I welcome this word. Thank you, word, for being so, right? It's like there's receptivity there and producing. Hearing, receiving, bearing fruit. Gospel effectiveness is dependent on hearing, welcoming, and producing. We'll press forward and try to bring it all together at the end of the chapter. Next, Jesus said to them, and if you'll follow as I read beginning in verse 21, he also said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it to be put on a lamp? Is it to be put on a lampstand? Isn't it? For there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed, nothing concealed that will not be brought to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and more will be added to you. For whoever has More will be given to him, and whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Here we're looking at the gospel is the lamp. The lamp, if we just look at verse 21 there, we see that the lamp is the subject of the sentence. The lamp is referring to something, or better, I think we should say the lamp is referring to someone who has come, right? Who has been brought, as it says there. The lamp has been brought. The lamp has come. 
to reveal what has been concealed. Who's the lamp? Jesus. Jesus is the lamp. In John, if we went to John, we see in the Gospel of John, Jesus is referred to as the light of God. And Jesus himself, in John chapter 8, verse 12, he refers to himself as the light of the world. Right? Jesus here in this passage is the lamp revealing the secret. The insiders, okay, they are beginning to see and will see fully eventually. Why are they beginning to see? Because they are drawing near to the lamp. And the lamp does what? It illuminates, right? Jesus is this lamp illuminating what's been hidden, what's been in the dark, what's been secret, right? Jesus is a lamp helping people see. Without the light of Jesus, the world could not know or access their way back to God. Do we understand this, church? Without Jesus, people will not make their way to God. Jesus as the lamp reveals that he is the way. Previous, the plan of God had been hidden. Jesus has come to bring it to light, a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. Jesus is the lamp. Verse 24, if you look there, I'll read it again. He says, Jesus, or part of it, Jesus said to them, and you can circle that. Yours may say it a little differently. Pay attention to what you hear. How are we doing at that? Pay attention to what you hear. More is being revealed. I can't, I, I wish there was some way to go back and, in time and be able to, to count how many times my mom said to me, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention, Teddy. That's what she used to call me. Everybody back home calls me. Sounds weird for you people. Pay attention, Teddy. Pay attention. Pay attention. Jesus here is saying, pay attention to what you hear. More is being revealed. Right? The light is revealing, 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 revealing. The lamp is revealing and illuminating and revealing and illuminating. Pay attention. As you pay attention, as you pursue the lamp, right, and come near and draw near to the lamp, what you seek will be found because Jesus the lamp will reveal it. Consider it carefully is another way it says it here in this passage. Consider carefully, pay attention to what you hear. As we saw with the types of soil, there are a lot of barriers to hearing, right? And we must make a decision about what we hear. Like, what are we going to do with it? I'm talking about hearing the Word. I'm talking about what you hear in here. What you hear when you're listening to the Word in your quiet time, even as you read it yourself. What do you hear in terms of the Word of God? What are you hearing? Are we paying attention to what we hear the lamp has brought us to a moment of crisis. That's what we see in the passage, actually. Because we must make a decision about what we hear, right? And so the lamp has brought us to a moment of crisis. Jesus, the lamp that lights up the place, now we can see things, and it brings us to a moment of crisis. A dividing line has been drawn 
And because of the lamp illuminating the place, we can see the dividing line. And now we have a choice to make, right? The lamp forces us to see things that we didn't see before. Uh, Matthew 10, 34, I think it connects here that Jesus says, Don't assume that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. The lamp, as it illuminates, it, it brings all of us, all humanity, every single one of us, Jesus, by coming, brings us to a moment of crisis, a moment of decision. Because now, because of Jesus indwelling, right, because of Him coming, because of God, the God-man coming in the flesh, we now are presented the choice to make. And if we are not careful, if we are inattentive, we'll miss out on the way to the kingdom of God. Jesus is that way, and hearing is key. Those who hear, right, He has revealed to us the mystery of the kingdom, and He will give more. He will give more to us, as this text implies. Uh, Go back to the sower, 30, 60, 100 times more. But to those who don't pay attention, and as a result, miss out on the mystery of the kingdom of God, even that will be taken away from them. Right? So 25, we read that. Follow as I read that again to us. For whoever has more will be given to him, and whoever does not have even what he has will be taken away from him. So as we hear, that's what we want to encourage you this, with this morning. Like I'm encouraged with as I, as I read this passage to say, man, I need to keep seeking. I need to keep knocking. As I'm drawn to the light, right? Those drawn to the light want to hear more from the light. And that seed takes root. And when it takes root, it grows. Meaning, and that's what I think it's saying there, more will be added to us, Right? I think one reason why we struggle is that we oftentimes expect to have our seeking done for us. You see? And so we're not actually the ones seeking the Lord. We're telling us, we're, we're looking for some Christian teacher to tell us how to do the seeking. And I know it is tempting. And this isn't everybody that comes for counseling, but I can see a difference in people that come for pastoral care, come for biblical counseling. There are some that say, fix it, and I get it. Like, I often come to moments of crises in my life, and I want someone to do my seeking for me, right? But that doesn't work like that. And you just stay in this rut. Every time you want somebody to do your seeking for you, just stay in the rut. And more is not added to you. The kingdom of God will continue to be more clear to our eyes and uh, our ears as we keep knocking and seeking and drawing near ourselves to this lamp. It becomes increasingly attractive, right? Because we are listening to the lamp and allowing him to direct our steps. When I was younger, uh, and kids, this is inappropriate, so don't do it. But it was fun, right? I don't know why it was so much fun. It's so ornery, I guess is the nice way to say it. But when I was young, we would go and we would knock on doors in our neighborhood. And I didn't live in a neighborhood where you should do this, which made it more fun, which is, again, more terrible, I guess. I don't know, dangerous maybe even. But we'd go and we'd knock on people's doors in the night, right, and run away and kind of hide somewhere and watch them come. And the later, the better, right? You know, when they were already in bed and that sort of thing and... We tried to stir up that was fun for us. It was a fun prank. 
And we'd hide and watch and laugh when they came to the door and nobody was there. It wasn't funny to them. And of course, those who it made more angry, it made it more funny. Right? Just tells you where I was. You know. Now I wouldn't find that funny. All right? Don't do it. Uh, now here's the point. There are people that knock, and I'm talking about Christ. They come to the door and knock, but they don't stay around for the door of life to be open. They're not even willing to knock long enough. You see, that this goes back to those that we want to have. We tend to get in these ruts and these places where we want to have our seeking done for us, right? We, and isn't it just enough to show up here and get a fix? Or to show up in that Bible study and get a fix, right? But we need to be believers, right? This understanding of discipleship, right? In the pressure of discipleship, we need to be believers that will hang around at the door and knock and knock and knock until we've heard, right? See, there are a lot of people, I think, who claim to have heard the word and responded to the word, who show up at the door of life and only knock, Perhaps just looking for a quick fix, but they don't stay around long enough for it to be open. That gives Satan opportunity, persecution, opportunity. Cares. I'm going back to the 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 parable of the sower, right? These are the things he lists: Satan, persecution, the cares of the world. It gives all these things opportunity to be effective in choking the Word of God out of our life. Those of hurried search whose knock at the door of life is tentative or brief will find a once joyous invitation to enter the kingdom of God to have faded into a mirage of disbelief. Those who believe the gospel have been given a lamp which distributes life and distributes light of divine truth. Is this lamp to be put under a basket or a bed? It says there in the text. and Of course, the answer is no. It's to be put on a lampstand. Why? So it can serve its purpose and spread light to all parts of the room. That lamp is Jesus that we have if we put our faith in him now, have as our own. A bushel could refer there in the text to a, or a basket used uh, for harvesting related to your job responsibilities. A bed could refer to being at home and all our responsibilities there. So it says, do you hide it under a basket or a bushel? Do you put it under your bed? The answer is no, no. But I think if we just kind of reflect more on that in the context of this parable, you can think that, man, it's like, okay, when we, we think of all the under the bed, the home responsibilities, they're uh, under the basket, the harvest, the work responsibilities, so that in both our work and in our home-related affairs, we are not to hide, church, the burning lamp that has been given to us. We are not to hide Jesus. Certainly it's tempting, sadly, right? But we've been given, as we've been talking about, the priority of fishing for people. But we can go to our commercial jobs, as it were, and obscure the light by hiding our lamp. Does anyone ever turn the lights on 
uh, while you're sleeping early in the morning. Anybody do that? I do that to my wife, and I don't mean to. I try to like only turn them in the other room, but she really wants it dark, and so if I'm up too early, even that light in the closet is bothering her. And and you know, but so I was just thinking of that how you know someone turns on the light and uh and you know when you want to stay in the darkness like my wife wants to stay in the darkness wait a second that it's not going over like i thought you should talk to her about that though but seriously seriously when you think of that right you you know what i'm talking about when you're it's night and you want to you're you've been sleeping and and that light comes on it's bright and sometimes it can have that effect seriously right like where you do you are like wanting to shield yourself and stay away from it and so i i was thinking that it's like that probably when we go uh to to work when we're out in the neighborhood that that we know people will respond to the light like that seriously right and so and so because of that we're like well let's let's keep it in the truck you know let let's keep it in under the bushel under the basket let's not talk about Jesus too much it'll turn people away and so the question i just thought there are you tempted to not be as forthcoming that you're with Jesus Perhaps the word that you heard has been sown on a thorny heart and you've decided you don't want Jesus to get in the way of your commerce. And we could go on. The fact is, the gospel lamp is to be shared, shown, and put on display. Jesus is to be shared, shown, and put on display. Get that down and move forward today. Right? Let's get that down and say, yep, I've surrendered to Christ He's this gospel lamp that I want to put on display. As, as we examine the soil of our hearts this morning and make that decision to put our gospel lamp on display, we can take comfort in knowing that the gospel grows by God's power. As we see in the next section, 26 through 29, it says the kingdom of God is like this. He said, a man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself, first the blade, then the head, and then a full grain on the head. As soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. The kingdom of God, the secrets of it are revealed in the basics of nature. Isn't that cool? Just as we're seeing here and talking about the seed, now talking about uh, the, the harvest time. And we see in this, this section that, that the kingdom of God is alive and active. It makes me think that it, you know, if, we're, if we're identifying as one who is, is living out and pursuing the kingdom of God and, and we don't feel uh, that we are very alive and active towards that end, then we may not be chasing after and living in light of the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God, as we see here in the text, is alive and active. The good news of the gospel is alive and active.
There's a fruit-bearing ministry where God does the growing, right? And this fruit-bearing ministry where God does the growing, those who've given their lives to Christ and, and raised their hands and said, man, I'm, I'm surrendering my heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Like, we're, we're making that, that new commitment to, to have our life be shaped entirely by this fruit-bearing ministry. Right, because we're saying, okay, no, we're the soil. We want to be heart's good soil. So we're hearing the word. Okay, got it. Now I'm I'm receiving it, and you can see that there's this continual process going on. Right, I've got to I've got to block out these other things and and keep the the thorns and the rocks and whatever from getting in. So I'm hearing the word, and I'm receiving the word. I'm welcoming the gospel, and in partnership with Jesus, as a result of that, I'm committing to share it and show it and put it on display. A fruit-bearing ministry, each one of us is to engage in. And what's comforting, I think, here about this, where we can take confidence about this section, this particular parable of the growing seed, is that we are to do what we can do, but God accomplishes what we can't. We work, we sleep, verse 27, we work, we sleep, we rise, and God is in places we can't see doing work we can't do, right? We don't grow people, right? We don't change people. God's word, God's gospel grows people. That is powerful. And so if we understand this, we would be make sure in our ministry into people, even in one-on-one, that we're working hard to figure out how to speak God's word to them because we know my ideas, my thoughts, my you know, wise way of doing things, that will not help this person one bit. But God's word, if I can learn to feed them God's word, I can see God's word begin to be planted in them and see them truly grow and develop, right? And become enriched as a result. You see, it's to the degree that I'm able, that you're able to speak God's word to somebody, God's gospel, to the degree that we're able to do that, then we see a growth that only God can do. And that's the kind of growth we certainly as a church want to be part of. The kind of growth that we say, man, we can't, we couldn't do that in that person's life. That was the the word was just planted. That's all we can say. We know the word was just planted, and look at it grow. And God is doing the growing. And so we can take confidence that when God's word is heard, when it is planted and it has taken root, it produces a crop all by itself. Do you hear that? I always get a kick of all these church growth books that are out there. I don't I don't think I've ever read one of them. I'm not interested, right? Maybe you've written one. I'm sorry. I'll read that one, all right? (laughs) My point is that sometimes, I think some of them try to to highlight this, but I don't think some of them do. And and so I think it's, it's important for us to understand, right? It's all about God's word being planted and taken root. And, and when that is happening, no matter how lousy we are on our end, and, and you need to read, like, understand what I'm saying, but, but I just think of our ministries, right? Like I look at our ministries and, and, and how we, you know, when people walk in the front door here and we, you know, we could come up with some better systems right now. We know we're actually working on coming up with better systems to care better for the flock, to, to be more organized in our Awana ministry or our youth ministry. And we need to do that, right? But, but even to the extent that we do that really well, or we get to that place where we do that really well, it, we, it's still 
just our best efforts. And, and that's not where the change comes from. That's not where the, the change comes from, God, for God producing the crop. It comes from God's hand. First the blade, then the head, then the full grain on the head. God's word, God's gospel is the cause of the transformation. Not me, not you, right? Amen? We take confidence in this. Jesus was confident in this in the face of terrible circumstances, right? Unbelief, ridicule, betrayal, right? And Jesus presses on. The gospel, why? Well, because the gospel is the power of God. You know, it doesn't say anything else that's the power of the God in the New Testament. And if you find it, come show it to me. It says the gospel is the power of God. Romans 1, 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And the gospel has exponential benefits. We see there in 30 and 32. We're going to race through and get to the end here. In 30 through 32, this is the parable of the mustard seed. With what can we, excuse me, parable of the mustard seed there. Beginning in 30, yes. With what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable can we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed that when sown upon the soil is the smallest of all seeds on the ground. And when sown, it comes up and grows taller than all the garden plants and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. There is an exponential manifestation of the kingdom of God. It's saying, this is what the kingdom of God is like. It grows like this, right? It spreads like this. And I just can't help but pause and go, Lord, am I experiencing this, even in my own heart, in my own life? No. If the answer is no, I'm not experiencing this, this expansion of the kingdom in my own home, in my own heart, in my own life. If I'm not experiencing to the degree, then, oh man, I need to check my heart. It's not the problem with the kingdom, right? Right, but the kingdom goes from something tiny. Let's get back to that parable. It grows from something tiny that you don't take much notice of. That's the point. A mustard seed, what? I don't, I've never even seen a mustard seed, right? Right, something tiny. Think of the kingdom of God coming here in Jesus' humble beginnings to when Jesus is coming in the second coming. Jesus' humble beginning is tiny. Not much notice. Not much fanfare. Right? It appears small, actually. It appears insignificant. Jesus' beginnings appeared insignificant, especially for people that didn't have ears to hear. The kingdom of God appears small, insignificant, and even irrelevant. You hear that? Like that's the mustard seed. The kingdom of God appears insignificant, small, even irrelevant. Do you know that you are tempted to think like that about the kingdom of God? Even right now? Do you understand that right now you're tempted to think like that? That the kingdom of God is insignificant? That the kingdom of God is irrelevant? That we're, we actually are tempted to even live out our lives in that way? But it is not that way. That's what he's saying. It is not that way. And we can see it grow. We can see it spread. 
We can see the kingdom of God influence humanity. Even now, we see it provide shade and rest. And we will see it more fully upon the return of Christ. Right? When what started out as the smallest for a return is the greatest. And all the kings of the earth and all the peoples of the earth and every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Right? The kingdom is so expansive, its growth so massive, its influence so pervasive that all the people of the world can benefit. Right? That's the parable of the mustard seed. Of course, the degree to which people benefit is dependent on their ability to hear. If you have ears to hear, the gospel lastly brings rest to those who hear. 35 through 41. On that day when evening had come, he told them, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. If you follow as I read, now I'm in 36. And so Jesus left the crowd and took him, excuse me, and so they left the crowd and took him along since he was in the boat and other boats were with him a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking over the boat so that the boat was already being swamped he was in the stern sleeping that's Jesus he was sleeping on the cushion <laughs> so they woke him up and said to him uh, teacher don't you care that we're going to die and he got up rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Silence, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And then he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked one another, Who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. This is where you can see how each parts of this chapter could be preached could have been preached separately right but i felt like if we could just get to the end there we can see the types of responses that we are tempted to have to the kingdom of god and to the teaching on the kingdom of god even today his own disciples y'all they were insiders they were insiders and they're still learning and still growing. The, the death, burial, resurrection, ascension, Pentecost, it hadn't happened yet, okay? So we, we give them uh, some room there. But I look at that and I think, how do we respond to the teachings of the kingdom of God? Experienced fishermen, okay? Let's have just a little bit of context here. These guys were experienced. Well, why is that relevant? Because it says they were scared they were going to die. Y'all, they had been out on the water. It's not like some novice person out on the water and got a little wonky out there and they're, you know, like, oh, you know, we're scared. You know, like they were, like their fear was like, we're for real. This is it. Okay? So they were, I mean, I'm just taking that like that because I imagine that, you know, it wouldn't have taken much for me to be scared, right? But they were scared because it seemed like it was over.
And they were missing that the kingdom of God was present with them in the boat. You see? They were missing. He just got done teaching all this stuff. He pulled them into his inner circle. And, and they're the ones that are the insiders. They're the ones that are supposed to have ears to hear. And he's trying to share with them. And all this personal application of the kingdom of God that his parables had pointed them to. All this teaching. Here they are. Their hearts had unbelief. And as a result, there in the boat, they lacked fruit. And the light that was with them, the lamp was the with them. For them, it was obscured. Right? And so with that, I want us to leave here this morning just asking ourselves the question, like, where are we at in the boat? Like, is our, is our response uh, faith in life right now? Because you're, you're in the boat of life, if we could just go there for a minute, Right? And the boat of life, man, the storms can get going, can't they? And maybe you find yourself right now in a bit of a storm, right? Things are worse than just wonky. And, and you're forgetting that you're Christ, that Jesus Christ is there. And I find it interesting, right? If you look there in the text, this is... The only place that Jesus is said to be sleeping. And it's in the middle of a storm. Did you, do you notice that? He's sleeping. And it's the only place where it's said of him. And he's in the middle of a storm. I think that means that if you and I find ourselves in Christ, hear it please. We can sleep in the middle of a storm. Amen? Lord, help us to receive the teachings on the kingdom. I know for my heart, sometimes even as I wrestle to bring them to you today, it's out there and I'm trying to grab, but we just got to knock and keep seeking and drawing near and let the light, let the lamp that is Jesus himself illuminate our path and he will lead us forward. And in that we have confidence and trust that when our boat is worse than wonky, right, we can find rest in him. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your patience with us. Like you're so patient with those in the boat with you, the insiders. And, and yet so often I know I am guilty of acting like an outsider in my response. And so Lord, I ask that you help us to walk in faith, not fear. Knowing that if we find ourselves in Christ, if, if we have surrendered our heart and our life to you and we look to you by faith, God, we, we don't, like you bring us into yourself. You draw us near and put your arm around us and keep us safe. We don't have to have, uh, we can't have earned what is needed 
for our salvation. We can't earn what is needed for our protection. We can't earn even what is needed for the peace that we're after even now in our own lives. And, and oftentimes we find ourselves in storms where we don't have a clue how to still the boat. But you are there. And so God, may we be persistent knockers and seekers and coming after you and put our trust knowing that you can still the storm if you see fit. And if you don't, that we could just sleep and rest in your presence. And you will make this provision for us. And by faith, we ask you to help us trust you in these things. In Jesus' name, amen.